Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We're currently in chapter 2 at verse 31. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading in verse 31 at chapter 2 in the book of Daniel, where it says this, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay." As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. So we see that Daniel fulfills the obligation, or at least the assignment. The assignment was to give the king first the content of his dream, to explain what it was that he dreamt, and then give the interpretation, because then he could be validated, or at least he could validate the fact that here was a person who could be qualified to do the interpretation. How? Because they also knew the dream without the king telling them. 
And so that's exactly where Daniel begins. But it doesn't just start in a vacuum, you understand. Daniel has already spent some time praying about this. He has given his friends, his three friends, a prayer assignment to pray for this enterprise of giving the king both the dream and its interpretation in order to give validity to what God has in store for the nation of Babylon or the kingdom of Babylon under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And so this we find then a very foundational type of a uh, of an interpretation and it's important for us to begin right away with the idea and the principle that we want to allow the bible to interpret itself this isn't about our sympathetic um Uh, feelings about what things might mean some things. This is about looking at the scriptures and seeing how the Bible interprets itself, because I think this looks very, very clear. And Daniel gives some very clear instructions of how to look at this dream and the contents of the dream. Now, in some regards, we can extrapolate a little, but that extrapolation is based upon the interpretation the Bible itself gives to itself. And so that's the principle we want to use here as much as possible and not try to force the Bible to say things it doesn't say or to try to uh, uh, just feel things and say, well, I think that's what that means. This is about looking at the text and examining exactly what Daniel is explaining under the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. And it says, you, O king, were looking. And so I'm sure the king by this time is on the edge of his seat because he first of all begins with the content. The basic content is this statue. This is an awesome statue, he calls it. It's extraordinary kind of a statue. Now, to us, the dream about a statue isn't necessarily all that awesome, at least not the ones we would try to conjure up in our minds. But when you understand that the king has has had this as sort of a nightmare. And I don't know about you, but some of the nightmares that I dream uh, don't have scary content uh, in order to be scary. Sometimes they're frightful, and yet I don't know why, because the dream sort of carries an emotion with it that uh, is kind of disconnected if I were to try to describe the actual uh, uh, thing that I was dreaming, he'd say, well, why were you scared of that? And I, I'd have to say, I don't know. <laughs> and, and that's sort of the, the idea here, that this was something so extraordinary. It was so uh, magnificent in the way that this dream came about over perhaps a, a period of several nights worth of dreaming. And it was so emotional that the moment, I believe, that Daniel says, uh, you saw a great statue, that was the open door, you see. That was the conversational trigger that gave Daniel the authority to speak about the rest. And uh, I think somehow Nebuchadnezzar was probably on the edge of his seat from this moment on. It was large, of extraordinary splendor, 
and it was right in front of you, and the appearance was awesome, he says. And he begins by describing this statue, and it's of various parts and pieces and materials. And it's important to understand these materials because these materials seem to represent something about the change that takes place as we go from the head all the way to the toes of this great statue. Now, in order not to give too much away too soon, Daniel just goes through the explanation first, and it begins with the statue, the head of gold, and then uh, it's fine gold, in fact, and then the breast or the chest and the arms there. And I picture in my mind that this is arms with that are folded across the chest, perhaps. I don't know exactly how this statue was constructed, but that's the visual image in my head. And that is, uh, it was it was of... Uh, of silver, and then the belly, or that is the abdomen and the and the uh, thighs or the hips, they were all made of of bronze, it says, but the legs were made of iron, and then finally, the last uh, parts and piece of this statue uh, at the very bottom on the feet were. Uh, the feet were made of iron and clay. And uh, somehow I picture in my mind, uh, being a little bit uh, acquainted with construction, that this this might be similar to what we would uh, look at as as concrete reinforced with rebar. And uh, that's not exactly the way it's described, but that's that's somewhere uh, a picture, I think, of, of what he is describing, at least cl- uh, close. And so he continues to look. He says, you continue to looking at this uh, until a stone was cut out without hands. And this is a very strange happening. And in fact, this may have been the uh, the part of the dream that became a nightmare that that Nebuchadnezzar just couldn't figure out that here is a stone this rock was cut out of a mountain but no man was there to quarry this rock there was no quarry there there was no man-made chisel or axe or anything else that quarried out this stone it just came out all of its own uh, and of its own making somehow. And uh, of course, we find out later where this stone comes from and what it represents. But right now, let's just look at the content. And that is this stone was cut out of a uh, without hands and it struck the statue and it crushed them all. And of course, um, later on, we find out that the, the iron uh, was, was responsible of crushing the former uh, materials. And we'll find out exactly what that means a little bit later. But right now we focus on the fact that, that uh, this stone cut out without hands and crushes the entire structure of the statue and uh, uh, and, and at the same time, the, the, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, uh, they all just uh, disappeared. They, they became like ash, and they were blown to the wind. Uh, in fact, in the Message Bible, it says, it, it describes it this way. It's sort of a poetic way of retranslating, even though it's not really a translation. It's more like a paraphrase, but it's a nice paraphrase. In uh, 
in this passage where it says, it was like scraps of old newspapers in a vacant lot on a dry summer day, blown every which way by the wind, scattered to oblivion. And that's the image that uh, that the Message Bible gives us. But here, this is an agricultural image rather than an urban image here. And it says, like chaff from the summer threshing floors, because they didn't have combines in that day. They didn't have that kind of technology. They didn't even have the uh, steam engine uh, uh, threshing machines that sat at the edge of the field. Um, and uh, and cranked out the the chaff and the uh, uh, the grain, uh, but here is is the threshing floors, and what that means is they would toss the the husks up in the air with their pitchforks or shovels or whatever tools they choose to use, and toss may may have even used their own hands, tossed in the air, and the breeze in the air would blow the chaff away, and the seeds were come down onto the floor, and they would continue to do that, uh, and that was their their way of of uh, harvesting the grain. And so that's the agricultural image that uh, that uh, Daniel gives to interpreting what this stone did to uh, the rest of the statue. It just oblim- uh, obliviated it and uh, and turned it into ash, and uh, it was just blown to the wind. And then that stone, by the way, that stone struck the statue and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the stone itself. Uh, became a structure of its own, and it filled the earth. We'll find out more about what this means as we continue through chapter 2 of Daniel. We'll be back right after this brief musical interlude. Welcome back, and we're going to get uh, started right away here at the uh, uh, in the middle of chapter two, verse thirty-six, where Daniel now, after having described the dream according to the instructions the king had given, this is this is the king's test. His test was: you tell me the dream first, I'll validate what you saw, and then you. Give me the interpretation, and only Daniel was qualified to do that because he was empowered by the Spirit of God to do this very thing. And so he's given given the king already the content of his dream. Now he goes on in verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. And he begins right away 
by addressing the king as the king of kings. Now, we remember that the Babylonian empire has taken over Jerusalem, has captured the Jewish people out of Judea. Now, uh, the northern tribes of Israel were captured and taken into exile by the Assyrian empire. But here, the Babylonian empire has taken Judea and and, uh, and Jerusalem and the temple, and they ransacked the temple and uh, took its contents far away into Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar was the one responsible for that. And that is the key ingredient to understanding the rest of this chapter. And in fact, the rest of the entire book of Daniel, by the way. But we have to get this right because this is the most clear we're going to get. And this is as clear as it gets, you might say, because it leaves no doubt because Daniel is addressing this king of this empire who has conquered Israel as a result of the disciplinary action of God against his own people to carry them out of the land by a Gentile empire so that the land could have its Sabbath years, its fallow years. And because of that, then Daniel first begins with the king, addressing the king for exactly the role that he has played. Daniel is not trying to endorse the king's morality. He's not trying to endorse the king's religion or the king's politics or the king's military actions. He is just saying this on behalf of God's interpretation of that dream, you see. And that's what he's doing here. He says, you, O king, are the king of kings to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom. In other words, Daniel wants this king to know that you are in power only because God has allowed you to be in power. He has put you here for this particular purpose, and he's going to carry this out in you and through you. So Daniel isn't endorsing this king in any way except in this regard in the carrying out of the purpose toward the nation of Israel and the domination of that entire region. And it's now in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar because God has delivered it into his hands and Daniel wants him to know that. You see, that's a subtle way of holding him accountable. And yet at the same time, giving him his position in this entire dream. So he continues on. God is the one responsible of giving you the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Now, this is is almost like a, a piece of literature and giving us an idea of what is to come because this is almost like a foreshadow of what takes place later in chapter 3 and 4. And uh, it, it kind of is a little nutshell here that it, if you read between the lines, which we're not going to do right now, but that's, that's uh, sort of what Daniel is getting at. It's that God has 
has, is the one responsible, not you, Nebuchadnezzar. You only have what you have because God allowed you to take it. And isn't that interesting that uh, uh, Daniel wants Nebuchadnezzar to know this and know it truly. And wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You, look at this, look at this. You are the head of gold. So, you see, there is no doubt about what the statue represents, or at least what the head represents. It is the head of gold. Why? Because it is the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire over the Jewish people. And that reign has to do with the authority of the king. And that authority is so pure and so strong as to call it gold, at least as far as God is concerned. You are the head of gold. Now, very quickly, Daniel doesn't spend a whole lot of time on uh, these two middle uh, materials of the statue. He says, after you will arise another kingdom inferior to you, and another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. So Daniel is hinting at the fact, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, is not a forever kingdom. It will be taken over by the silver kingdom. And it will be inferior to you. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be smaller. See, geographically speaking, it's not going to be smaller than the Babylonian empire, but is is. It is going to be less authoritative, or at least less dictatorial, less tyrannical, less glory in its military might, or its military strength, or its its authority of its of its monarchy. Uh, there will be something diminished about the way they handle their own authority here, and. So that's the reason why it's silver rather than gold. And then another third kingdom of bronze. So uh, again, Daniel doesn't spend a lot of time on the silver and the, and the bronze kingdoms, but it's very, very clear that these two kingdoms, they follow each other after the Babylonian empire. Well, you see, if we look into uh, the history of, of empires in that region, we find out that the Babylonian empire was taken over by the empire of the Medes and the Persians. The Persian empire, which also couldn't have uh, gotten uh, perhaps where they were, had it not been for the mixture of the Medes in there and, uh, and what they were able to accomplish together as a unified kingdom, they took over the Babylonian in, uh, kingdom. And in fact, uh, we have that later in the book of Daniel. Daniel actually lives long enough to see the gold head of the Babylonian empire taken over by the silver empire of the Medes and the Persians. And then there's the bronze, which, uh, which of course is the Grecian Empire, the Greek Empire. And there, there later on in Daniel, we'll find that this silver empire of, uh, of, the, uh, of the Medes and the Persians, as well as the bronze empire of the Grecian uh, uh, 
kingdom, that, that those two will be given much more detail, much more attention, much more focus in later chapters and later visions. But right now, uh, uh, Daniel just briefly kind of mentions them, and he goes on to this fourth kingdom. And it says, there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. Well, there's only one kingdom that fits this description coming after the uh, Medo-Persian Empire coming after the Grecian Empire, there is Rome, the Roman Empire, and this is this is just a just an extrapolation of where we began. You see, uh, Daniel doesn't see that far into the future except for this description so far. But we'll get into more descriptions later. Right now, we have to be satisfied with just these simple things of this statue, and that is the. Uh, uh, the fourth kingdom is as strong as iron, and as much as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. So the Roman Empire took it all over. The Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the entire Mideast was controlled by Rome. So like iron that breaks it, they crush in pieces. Verse 41, in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be divided kingdom and it will have in it the toughness of iron in as much as you saw, excuse me, the iron mixed with common clay. So this is sort of like rebar inside of concrete. And yet uh, it, it, it doesn't quite mix together. It actually provides strength on the one hand, and yet at the same time provides a certain fragility, a certain uh, fragile quality, a certain uh, breakage of its own. And uh, it cannot stand for long. It says, as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. Perhaps, just perhaps, this might refer to the fact that if if we've got it right about the head of gold and the silver and the and the bronze being some sort of a like a disintegration of this absolute rule by the time we get to the iron rule there is iron and it, which means it's strong and it can de de destroy everything and yet at the same time because by the time we get to the iron mixed with clay that authority is somehow uh compromised. Perhaps it's because Rome became both an imperial structure as well as a representative structure in the Roman Senate. And that Roman Senate was a, a democratically uh, controlled type of body. And so the combination of both of those ruling powers actually provided not only a, a certain kind of strength, you might say, but also a certain kind of weakness that these symbols here reflect that um, quite, uh, quite adequately, in fact. It says, in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. 
but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery. Now, this is not the end of these descriptions of these four major empires. It's not the end, but it is the beginning. And if we have this interpretation right, then perhaps we'll see the rest of it right and uh, we'll be confident about the way we see the rest of the book of Daniel. And we have yet to finish chapter two because we still want to talk about that stone and talk about that mountain that fills the entire earth. And we'll get to that in our next time together. Thank you, Father, for these moments in your word. I pray that as we look at these words of Daniel, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God in him to give him this interpretation We trust and pray that the same Holy Spirit would guide our understanding so that we wouldn't force these words to say things they're not saying, but neither would we ignore these words as if they are unimportant. So we put ourselves in your hands to continue to guide us as we study these words. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>